Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. And I feel like I want to say Happy Valentine's Day, Carrie. Nice. But today's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Tomorrow is actually... I get it. You're trying to get it in before we can't get it in. That's right. Yes. Well, I, it's kind of funny hearing about folks who are struggling to figure out what to do because tomorrow is Ash Wednesday and it's on February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. This is one of the many things that we'll talk about, including what happened at the Super Bowl. Carrie, lots to cover today. I am very excited. Let's get started in just a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we stand in awe and wonder that we can call you Father, that you created us out of love, and that you call us to yourself, that you granted us your Holy Spirit to set us free from the bondages of sin and to forge in us holiness, uh, your very life, so that as we journey through earth, we would radiate your glory into this world. Lord, give us the grace to prepare well for Lent. Lord, give us the grace to celebrate well today and, and look forward to an incredible Lenten season. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, I know it's Tuesday, but uh, there's still a lot of I don't know, a lot, lot to say about what happened on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. There was an end there, right? The end of the football season. Yes. Oh, yes. Lots of ends. This is right. great. Well, and I, I'm going to talk about something that was, for me, way more like poignant in, in a sad kind of tragic way that happened on Sunday than, on the Super, than about the Super Bowl. And it wasn't tragic that San Francisco lost, by the way. It was a little tragic that uh, Kansas City won because they didn't deserve to win. Oh, how you didn't think so? How do I feel? <laughs> you didn't think they deserved to win? Well, Kansas City made, I mean, San Francisco made so many errors. Um, uh, you had um, their running back fumbled the ball uh, and there was likely going to be a touchdown that was in the in the first half. And, you know, actually the extra point and and the the punt. Remember the punt that hit the back of the the uh, San Francisco 49ers foot? And that led to a touchdown by Kansas City. It did feel like after the first half that the 49ers were up way more than they actually were up. When it, I think it was, what is it, three to what was it? Was it was 10 to three at halftime. It just felt like the 49ers were up 21 to three. Yeah. They were so dominant in the yeah, first half. You're right. And it was like, wow, if that's as far, if that's as big as leader they're going to get having been as dominant as they have, it's going to be a tough slog. And sure enough, you know, get credit, give credit what credit's due, except to Travis Kelsey, give him no credit. Would you ever want to be a sports announcer? 
I, I think I kind of am right now. How about that? <laughs> I don't I'm on the radio. Know. I'm you're announcing. Actually... <laughs> you mean announcing the game? <laughs> you're just giving a little feedback. But no, those actual like sports talk no. radio guys. I, you've got to be really quick, I, quick and clever, and being able to uh, come across as neutral, but also like bring excitement on both sides. And and yeah, no, not interested. I think at one point, not my the, gift. <laughs> at one point in the game, the announcer said something about Kansas City not being able to come back, and it was just a sad thing. And it was, I think, the third quarter, or maybe they were trying you to. You mean San Francisco? No, the, oh, Kansas City could not come back, and no, they were San Francisco couldn't come back. No, because Kansas City was losing in the third quarter. Okay, and it made it sound like they really wanted Kansas City to come back and win. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little bias. You could. See Kind of sniff out the it, bias. It, it, a couple times, yeah, yeah. That was uh, it was the the uh, one of the announcers. Definitely, he was a quarterback. I forget his name, but he was definitely a Kansas City fan. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah. San Francisco's touchdown wasn't even shouldn't have been a touchdown, you know. And and that that uh, <laughs> horse collar call was terrible. And grumble, grumble, grumble. Oh. Yeah. You know what I really missed? I miss watching the game with my boys because. In some of the girls, because typically they just make a lot of funny comments about the players, about the commercials, about the atmosphere. It just felt a little flat, just you, me, and the three little girls. We were going to do a Super Bowl party. We were invited to a party, but the flu broke out in multiple houses. And so now we're all kind of struggling with that. And I might have started it or my daughter started it. But I know last week I was out. And then this week you got it on Sunday morning. And anyhow, it's a side note just to say it just felt a little bit slow, just the small group that we had, although it was very enjoyable and relaxing to watch. I think you're right. I, I Super Bowl parties have been a, a great time of fellowship in our family. And then with the wider like network of friends or family when we were back on the West Side, uh, I always enjoyed that well, because it was typically families that we knew from church. I love that we didn't watch football for so long. And then NFL became so woke and so politically sided in one direction. And it just, no one was watching it for like two or three years. Their numbers or ratings just dropped off. And now I'm thinking they're back and all I could tell from several, several of the commercials, they were not going to get into politics and they're trying to keep very like on the right side of right. It was just very evident. And then they had all these like self-promotion of the NFL and how they help all these different organizations and how they're so wonderful in other countries. And if you have a dream, we're here to help you. And it, it, it was kind of funny to see how they promoted themselves as this amazing organization. But it had to have been the most watched Super Bowl. Just with all the Taylor Swift. Yeah. Last Swifties. year's was the most watched until this year. And this year surpassed it by... Do you want me... By like over... By about twenty percent, thirty percent, which is crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, do you know how many? Uh, last year was like fifty-five million, uh, seventy-four million. Last year was one hundred eighteen million. Oh, really? This year was over one hundred and twenty-three million. Oh my! Worldwide. So, yeah, actually, so it's not even. It's not twenty percent. It's it's uh like five percent. Oh, okay. I thought last year. You know, it was fifty million. I think no. it was the playoff games with that much. Oh, yeah, yeah, Just yeah. recently. Uh, it was like 35 million watched the playoffs on average, something like that, which was still extraordinarily high. So you said 100 and- 123.4 million was the number I found. Wow. That's a ton of people. Well, 
And and you know, on, on the good side was the fact that it used to be more like clever and entertaining, the commercials. And then as you you said, it kind of headed more towards sort of woke presentations of things. And now I, I swear they gave out guidance that said you have to use an old time actor in your in your commercial or we're not letting it on. There are so many famous people. You had to have famous people in your commercial. Otherwise yeah. it wasn't or they weren't coming watchable. on and on. I yeah. I, I it, it just seemed that way. And old time music. Yeah, yeah music going. right. It was, yeah, that was really, uh, it was really something. So um, I, I know that you had, there were also, I was hearing a bit about obviously the phenomenon of Taylor Swift. And I was just, I, they showed her a lot less than I thought they were going to. So I'll give them credit for that. Well, not until the last quarter. I was thinking, so I, I jokingly said, let's get out a phone and do some betting just for fun. Because I know some of our boys are sharing how they bet some of the games, it just makes it more interesting. And honestly, I'm not that interested in watching football plays. I mean, I love seeing great athletic, you know, action, but I don't know. I get a little distracted. It's a long game. It's you're in there for the long haul. So I thought it'd be much more exciting if we actually had some skin in the game, like money. And they did have a bet. They showed her or they panned to her more than five times. You could win. And I think during the game and then the, once it went into overtime, they definitely got up to panning to her about 10 times. So do you know what? I, I think those are called prop bets. So they're, they're bets that aren't like who's going to win, how many total points will be scored. Oh, it's like what you see in the- a prop bet will be, will the initial coin toss be heads or tails? You can okay. bet on that. How long will the national anthem, how long will it take for it to be sung over or under two minutes and five seconds, right? So you can bet on just about anything uh you know in uh and so that was one of them how many times would the cameras flash to taylor swift they said that they had um 15,000 bets coming in per second before the game started that is insane i know I, i'm surprised like that their machines even held up and i mean the fact that it was in las vegas maybe it made it oh, even yeah. more <laughs> more yeah, a thing but that is insane and they they also said like bets were up 40%. Now, I don't know if this is money or numbers from last year. So I think what's happening is the the walls, the legal walls are being lowered. Oh, like in states. Regarding the ability to do online betting. Okay. So um, so certain states allow you to use those. Like I think DraftKings was the one that was promoted on the, during the NFL thing itself. Um, so we tried to download DraftKings, but we couldn't um, use it. When was this? Yesterday? Yeah. Were you guys going to do better? Yeah, Annalise was trying to yeah, set so it up funny. on my phone. But we would literally have to take the phone into a like some local casino oh, oh. and say, "I'm really me," to be able to use DraftKings. Okay. So well, we're not. We haven't I gotten there. The which state is not, of Washington. That's not a bad thing, but that's yeah. really funny, Tom. So, I um, yeah, I what I like about uh, the Super Bowl yesterday was there was at least two references to to God and Jesus. There was the the Hallow app was probably the, I didn't even see it. I don't even know when it happened. I think it was before the game. So I must've missed it, but it was um, Mark Wahlberg. And he basically said, let's pray. And just, he said a brief prayer in a church and it was the Hallow app. Cool. And it was like, have a great like journey or have a great season or have a great, yeah, have a great season, something like that. And it was about Lent. Okay. And it showed the guy who plays Jesus in the chosen getting his ashes on his forehead. 
That's really so, funny. Yeah. But there was obviously there was some kind of post online saying it was controversial and it was off. Everything and, that is Christian is controversial. Like, just what? so you know, so, so everything and, and positive, even the foot washing commercial. Oh, we're yeah. so offended that they would actually associate relations with Christ and faith and you know, whatever. Who cares? Okay. Well, I, and this is, this was that I mentioned there was something very poignant that happened yesterday and it was sad. And, and I kind of like well up a little bit, even to talk about it, even though, I'm talking about a guy that um, you've never heard of, Kelvin Kiptum. No. Yeah. So Kelvin Kiptum, like why would, he died yesterday. And you're like, well, who's Kelvin Kiptum and why does that, why is that a big deal? Well, he was only 24 years old and he died in a car accident. He's from Kenya. And why that was like so particularly tragic was that he was a marathon runner. And um, his uh, his first marathon he ever officially ran. Um, do you know how fast he ran it? Uh, well, do you know oh, like no, the, like two hours is? fifteen minutes? Is yeah, the... so two hours fifteen minutes would be shockingly good. Okay, right? he did it in two hours and un- under two hours and two minutes. Wow! Right, the world record was like two hours and like fifty five seconds, something like that. He's twenty. He was like twenty two years old at the time. In his first marathon, he wins and does it in under two hours and two minutes. He runs two other marathons. He did the his second marathon four months later. He ran in two hours and one minute and 25 seconds. It was the- He's like a prodigy runner. It, how is that even- How is this possible? His second official marathon, he runs the second fastest marathon ever. And then- he just in um, just ran the fastest marathon ever. Oh my goodness! Two hours, and then and he died. See, this is seconds. why he died. It was two hours <laughs> and thirty-five seconds, and it's just like, how in the world, right? So, so this is you could in all of human history, all of human history, this guy was able to run faster than. In, in that uh, the length of a marathon faster than anybody else who's ever lived. And he did it in his third marathon and he's 24 years old and tragically dies in this car accident. And I, I mean, I just, I, I had followed his story just a little bit through YouTube. There's like a running channel and, um, and just, I was captivated by this guy. And when it, popped up in my newsfeed this morning that yesterday he died in this car accident. He was with his trainer and they were driving the car. The car went off the road in mm. Kenya, high up in this mm-hmm. mountain where he was training. And so tragic. It's so tragic. And you think here's this extraordinary gift to the, you know, extraordinarily gifted man given to this world. And this guy was Totally dedicated. They they put together like a quick tribute video and said he revealed his workout regimen. How many miles he ran a week? I have no idea. 200. <laughs> 200 miles a week. Every week. That's like 30 miles a day. A day. He's like running a marathon every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy. And so what was what was so what they said was so outstanding in his life, 
even compared to other like shockingly amazing Kenyan uh, marathon runners was his dedication. He was all in dedicated to excellence. He, he ate, slept and ran. And that was what he poured his whole life into. And look at that result. That's just unbelievable that people can even one, just do that and just be that dedicated, that focus. Well, and I just, as you know, I, I want to link this to our lives of faith and say, brothers and sisters, there's something inside of you. There's a Kelvin Kipton in you. You're not going to be a marathon runner, but there's, there's a quality of you being you that has that same kind of extraordinary quality to it. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. And we'll discover in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. So, Carrie, uh, your last comment just before the break was, are you sure? Are you sure that there's a Kelvin Kiptum quality in us? And I, if I used a different name, maybe you'll capture my meaning. Uh, there is a little flower in each of us. Now, <laughs> look at me thinking, St. Therese of Lisieux. Okay, got that. And Or St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. You don't have to do great things, but just do little things with great love. You tracking with me now? I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for <laughs> still waiting for the link. Okay. So the link is this, is that um, no one that's listening to my voice is ever going to be able to beat Kelvin Kiptum's marathon record. That's just not going to happen. But a sense of being dedicated, a sense of being committed, uh, a sense of finding within themselves, a sense of being totally motivated, of orienting their whole lives, how he ate, how he slept how he worked was dedicated towards that purpose of running the race in the most optimal way possible. Well, our life of faith is called in the scriptures running a race. It's in Hebrews. It's St. Paul. Uh, he talks about first Corinthians nine. I'm running a 5k Tom. I'm not running a marathon. And <laughs> well, you can run a spiritual marathon. You can run a spiritual marathon. And he talks about disciplining his body. He disciplines his body so that he doesn't lose the race. He doesn't get left behind. And so I, you know, I, I, I sort of, I honor, I'm standing in awe of what, you know, Kelvin Kiptum did in his short 24 years. And again, it's sort of a tragedy that that happened, but I'm speaking to, to all of you, dear brothers and sisters and looking at you, Carrie, and saying, I don't want our lives or our kids' lives or any of our listeners' lives uh, to be anything other than a heroic effort to run the race of faith that God has given to us because there's so much at stake. And it's not a world record. It's eternal glory. It's not a world record. It's eternal salvation. It's not uh, a wreath on the head it, that perishes, but an unperishable crown that St. Paul talks about race, uh, racing for. be interesting to take what he does or someone like Tom Brady and look at the actual 
focused intentionality of coaches, their their reading, their professional input, all the all the supports they get around them to excel to that level and say, okay, what am I doing every day to to get a little bit closer to doing what God is calling me to do? You remember that book? Uh, what was it? Uh, the Pursuit of Excellence. It was that guy who wrote that book about training these top athletes in the CrossFit games. Yes. And so he tracks these two guys, Matt Walsh. I think not Matt Walsh. Is that his name? I think it's his name is actually Matt Walsh. And then two others, that woman uh, with the very long Norwegian name. Yes. And I still remember this vignette at the end of the book where she just won the world's fittest woman. And at their now post event, go out to dinner and there's this huge party going on for all of these CrossFit athletes where they have all of this, you know, beer and junk food and stuff like that to celebrate. And she didn't go to that party. She went off with um, just a couple of friends and her trainer and the trainer notes that she's just eating this little salad and this little piece of fish because she doesn't want to throw off her body, body metabolism because she's going to be training the next day. So I'm like, what is that? That kind of commitment. Yeah, that's not like, I don't sense that in me wanting to follow Christ in that way. Like, I don't feel like I'm 110% in. I'm not, I'm not saying that people aren't called to it. I'm not saying that I couldn't be called to it. It's just, I don't see, it, it's a temperament and it's almost an obsession. It's an OCD type personality that when they go that far in and there's no coming, I mean, there is nothing that is going to stop them in their determination. That's funny. You said, you say OCD, but I would say, not I, Father Mark Noonan, you remember what he said? He said that from a purely human psychological standpoint, saints have a bit of neuroticism. They're a bit neurotic, meaning they're so totally focused is with the zeal and a fervor and a dedication towards a goal that it doesn't come across in a purely human way as balanced. Well, I just was listening to the story of uh, Elon Musk's uh, biography and just the crazy, crazy life he lives and, you know, amazing feats that he's accomplished, but the wreckage of his personal life and his family life and the number of kids and wives and yada, yada, yada. And just the sheer craziness of his workplace and what he's caused among, you know, the, his coworkers or people below him. But then also he's done this incredible uh, accomplishments that have, you know, just above and beyond, at, you know, take the top 10 people in the world and he's up there. And I don't know, it's just, I would love to pursue God with such a strength and focus and intensity. But I know that most of us are not called to fulfill that kind of life. Okay, so let's 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 bring the plane down to a lower attitude, yeah. altitude. <laughs> let's go. No, no, no. Let's go to a lower altitude because I think you'll see at the same time um, displays of God's glory, God's you know majestic beauty, as well as the wreckage that is associated with um, a lack of awareness or a lack of attention. Just a quick story. On Saturday, we were at the Chesterton Academy Gala. And it was in downtown Spokane. 
They actually outgrew the hotel that they were in previously. Now they're in a bigger room, which is a beautiful sign of, of growth. Um, but I was talking with a couple who have some kids there, and he was saying that he had a son that was at a uh, like a large public high school, and he had started there. And it only took about three weeks of being at that school before his son said, Dad, get me out of here. This place is is having a real impact on me. And the father obviously said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, it, a couple of things just were routinely experienced. The first was that at lunchtime, there would be these boys who would be on their smartphones just looking up pornography. And they would take their phone and they would just stick it into other kids' faces and saying, look at this. And you hear that, and it's just so disturbing that that's that's what the uh, that that that's a reality. And then um, you have so that was the first thing. And then the second thing he said was it was a just a common experience that in his classroom there would be the number that he said was several. There'd be several kids every week who were saying that they were going to kill themselves, and that was just a. a a typical experience that the kids would say that they'd be killing themselves. So, um, and obviously none of them did, but that was the, that was the, that was the reality that they were, he was experiencing and he was saying, get me out of here, that that was just a terrible um, thing that he was experiencing. So um, how does that relate to, I compare that to what we saw at the gala. You have these wonderfully, you know, refreshing young men and women there singing fun songs, you know, shoe boo bop, whatever was that song they sang? Yeah, from Cars. I don't know. Yeah. The shoe bop song. <laughs> Some shoe bop song. And uh, and then the testimony of of one of the seniors about the blessing of being at Chesterton. And and you think about the fundamentally different experience that these kids have in high school because of the environment they're in, the atmosphere that they're in the hallways that they're walking. And you think of what is elevating kids to a life of flourishing and God's glory and versus an environment that is leading to wreckage of their purity and their modesty and, and their sense of just being good human beings. Yeah. Their souls. How their about souls. that? How about eternity? Right. So I, I think about those things and I think about, we can do things with little things with great love. We can, do little things with Kelvin Kiptum level uh, dedication, but let's love like that. It's interesting because you think of just the phenomenal success of his sheer athletic determination, which is, you know, self-discipline and in your will and your character. I mean, there's so many things that go into being excellent and yeah, the fruit is good. He's this one in a lifetime runner, but how does that compare to what you're doing to help people for eternity? Right. Exactly. I mean, if it feels like, what am I doing? What am I spending my life doing? If I'm just trying to, uh, you know, build wealth or build a career where I'm, you know, being a great, you know, maybe a doctor or a lawyer or just some great feats on your influencer on social media and you have all these people following you, but are we truly bringing people towards Christ and in, into freedom, into healing? You said something to me Jesus. the other day that I, I 
was like, boy, I'm, I'm really naive. It, and it had to do with, you know, these famous musicians that are so wealthy, but they are on their third marriage or have never been married or don't have any kids. And they're 40, 50 years old. They must be miserable because they're missing out on the most important things in life. Relationship with God, a stable relationship in, in a marriage, having kids and being able to enjoy life with them. And, and your response was? Well, I just thought that they were enjoying their life. Yeah. I'm like, they're not miserable. They are very much enjoying all their wealth, all their stuff, stuff, all their fame and, and all their, and I'm not thinking they're going to say, oh, I'd rather change lives with you guys. Like you guys are really living the big life here. And I think that was the the whole point of the conversation, Tom, was just because someone is having all this fame and even in, in bad marriages, sure, they have pain and suffering and struggles. They're enjoying being distracted by what the enemy offers is wealth, power, and fame. And that is the great temptation is that we get so distracted with being entertained in our life that we lose sight of what's just firmly, fundamentally important in life yeah. is our, our salvation and serving God in this world so we can be happy with him in the next. Well, and, and none of none of those things and, and, and what those things can provide, which are comfort and intense experiences, satisfying experiences, none of those things can fill the human heart, that ache that is there that because we're made for God. Well, and, you know, I watch some women that are very faith-filled and they're uh, very famous and I think, and they live kind of a, okay, to, truth be told, Real Housewives, of Atlantic City. I was watching it like four years ago and they're very um, Baptist, spirit-filled Christian women, they proclaim, but they're also just like carousing and sleeping around and divorcing and gossiping and just backbiting in these fist fights and crazy stuff, just crazy, vulgar, weird stuff. And yet they're all believers or a lot of them are. And I think, you know, they're enjoying it, but they're, they're not doing it perfectly, but they certainly love the parts of faith that allow them to know that they're loved, that they are human, that they are seen by God, that he brings forgiveness. But at the same time, they're settling for just a sinful kind of mediocre, famous life, which I judge them. I'm like, hey, heck, how, how convicted was I saying, I don't even have all their temptations and I still don't live this vibrant, holy, faith-filled, seeking after God kind of life. I know you do, Tom but I don't. <laughs> and I just, it was just interesting to see how they justified or how they lived their life on display and, and love being on TV and like the fame and the money and all that. But it wasn't a noble, holy life at all. Like if anything, it was cringy to just see how, I don't know if the words deceit, but just how they've gotten up into all the power and glory that fame offers. And well, it all kind of goes together, faith, wealth, wealth and um, I mean, fame, wealth and power and the satisfying comfortable life and experiences right that go along with that i think we're off topic <laughs> no 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 no. we're this, gonna go back to topic this is actually this is central to what we're talking about today which is tomorrow is the beginning of lent it's also valentine's day and valentine's day is associated with love it's a it's a, a associated with giving of oneself in love, receiving love, expressing love. And it lines up beautifully. How often does this happen? Once every how many decades? 
does Ash Wednesday actually fall on um, on Valentine's Day? And so Ash Wednesday is many things in the lives of most Catholics. Most Catholics don't think of Ash Wednesday as this beautiful, sweet gift of love from heaven. Saint Valentine. Hey, did you know there's no Valentine? You can't spell Valentine without Lent. <laughs> I, I think that's brilliant. <laughs> I think that is brilliant. You should did not make that up. Copyright that. All right. Copyright Valentine. That's that's actually brilliant. And so in the heart of love is Lent. Is Lent. Just giving yourself, dying to yourself, yeah. living on behalf of others. Yeah. And what's Lent? Lent is this incredible gift of love that God gives to us that says, I sent my son, Jesus, to free you from the bondage of the Egypt that you are enslaved by. And I am going to, through the power of my spirit, bring you through on a journey of the desert where you can pray fast and give alms so that you come out the other side and you are a more radiant, glorious witness to Jesus Christ and he shining forth through you in this world. Amen. So that's what Lent is. All right, back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran along with my wife, Carrie. And Carrie, I, are we celebrating Valentine's Day today or tomorrow? I better be tomorrow. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. I think we're just skipping it. I feel like I'm skipping skipping it. it. Well, I think we can skip it, but I definitely want to do something for the, for our girls that are here. I did feel a little, I don't know, like, how do I celebrate my kids that are far away? And there is this level of pressure expectation that I should be doing something as a mom to make sure all my kids know I love them. I went in to pick up your Tamiflu at the pharmacy today and, um, there was huge balloons. They must've been five times the size of a typical Mylar balloon. And they're so like tempting to buy because they just have this huge aha. Like if you saw that when you woke up and you opened up your bedroom door and there's this ginormous balloon, you might be scared. Is this a hint? Am I supposed to be going to the store? Between going to see all the incredible flowers at Safeway and the beautiful flowers at Fred Meyer's, I thought, how can people not know it's Valentine's Day? The only real way I know it's Valentine's Day, apart from the calendar, is going into these stores. Like there's this a massive amount of pressure as you walk through these stores to go buy your produce or whatever in the florist shops that make you think, I better buy some of this stuff because it's pretty amazing. And I'm going to let the person I love know that I love them or I'm not. And I don't know. It's I know it's very commercialized. The flowers were amazing. The balloons were amazing. The, the, uh, I, I, I just, I feel and... like there's just a history of failure that I'm, it's okay. I, that's being exposed here. You're released. I am released. But you, I want to bring up, you have fostered in our home. Again, we're talking about family traditions and customs. You can do a beautiful customs to foster uh, family culture just around, uh, even Valentine's Day and, and beyond flowers, balloons, and candy. And, and taking yeah. someone out to dinner. Well, I think what we don't realize about traditions is they're time. They're somewhat timeless. I don't know if that's the right word, but we can look back over the course of previous years and seen something that we've done that's built 
it builds upon itself and it gets momentum. And with years, more kids, growing family, it creates this kind of own energy of, are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? Let's do. And so it becomes a life. (laughs) Uh, If you want to hear the best life, I want to say that the best metaphor I've ever heard or tradition is a rowboat. Okay. A what? A rowboat. Now listen to the a story. rowboat. A rowboat. Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your okay. boat. Okay. So, uh, the the parable or anecdote goes: if you want to take a rowboat from this shore to the other shore, and you are across a lake, right? Um, and in a rowboat, when you're rowing, your back is to the goal. Yes. The point of arrival. You don't see where you're going. You don't see where you're going. And so the way that you get there is as as long as you point the boat and you first push off in the right direction, the way that you get there is by keeping your eye on the point of departure. And as long as you keep that eye, that point of departure in the center of your vision and you keep rowing, you'll be moving away from that point and you'll be arriving at the other point. That is really interesting. And that a tradition is the thing that launches you from your point of departure. You're creating this custom, this habit that builds over time. And what is it actually doing? It's creating a momentum, a direction in your family life. So by keeping your eye on your family traditions, you're actually creating your family's future to get to the goal that you're trying to reach. Now, and you're going faster. Is it like our, is it like our traditions that keep getting momentum and seem to get bigger and more elaborate? I don't know. I I just I love what you said though about the the tradition you created for Valentine's Day, which has to do with these Valentine's boxes and cards. Well, I think part of it is uh, we homeschooled for many years, where the kids were home when they were younger, and. I love the idea of writing love cards or notes and I love paper and stickers. And so I would actually set up for all the kids. I'd give them each eight, nine, 10, 11 cards, depending on how many kids we had at the time, different envelope colors, different um, cute little Valentine cards. They all got their own different set. So there's 11 unique individual cards. And some of the kids would just write their name. Some kids would scribble if they couldn't write at that time. And then some would write four or five sentences and we teach them how to affirm and how to say the gifting of their siblings, or some would share just a memory from that year. You and I would spend more time writing a long note, a couple of paragraphs to front and back letters. And depending on how old they are, they were longer. And we kept these cards over the years. Now we have not done this in the last three years. We've not written Valentine's to each other since we've come here, but we still kept everything. So on Valentine's day, our daughter yesterday, last night, she organized everyone's boxes. We made these beautiful, elaborate, cute boxes that we kept every year. Like a shoe box. Yeah. Like a shoe box. It's pink and glitter and red glitter and, you know, little cute Jesus loves you that sayings. And so she organized everyone's boxes and I don't know, she likes to organize things. And so literally each kid had over like 60 cards that they'd gotten over the years from their nine, their eight siblings and mom and dad, if you do the math. And, you know, it's kind of cool because then you could go back and say, this is who I am in the eyes of those who love me most. So it was a great tradition. It's, it's evergreen. 
Like we'll always have these cards. They're adorable to look at because of how the kids either spelled or their handwriting or how they saw that person in that time that period stage, yeah. at that stage when they're two or five or 10 or 15. It's great. The tradition created something that will be forever, but we don't write letters anymore. Yeah. So Carrie, I think about that. And that's exactly what I mean by if you point your rowboat, uh, I keep your focus on that, you're, you're creating that direction. And by doing this year after year after year, right, it's overwhelming to say to someone, okay, create this family tradition and write 60 cards. Well, you don't. You write, you're writing two, every, and then the next yeah. year's three, and then it's four, and then it's That's five, true. and then it's five again, or it's still five or, until the next kid comes. And- how about this time? You value it so much. You see the value. Yes, it's work. Yes, it's effort. Yes, you have to put aside other distractions or other goods to have this thing happen. But the payout, the payback is so great after you've done it for several several years and it's worth it. I think yeah, it's impactful. I think traditions have to be worth it. They have to mean something. It can't just be in a vacuum. It has to have Well, the Catholic concept of tradition is that it's a way in which the word of God, God himself, hands over to us all that we are and all that we believe. So the church is handing on generation to generation all that God has entrusted to us, the very life of God is entrusted to us in the biggest of the traditions, the sacraments. And then the smaller ones, the smaller traditions are things that also carry on aspects of the life of the church. Just so family traditions, family customs, like something like this, Valentine's Day box, it creates some momentum in the family towards things like speaking affirming words, celebrating each other, giving time and attention to each other, putting effort into expressing love to each other, right? All of that, that's a beautiful gift that you can try to teach in a moment, but you can also teach through the tradition, through this custom. Yeah, I like that, Tom. That's really good. So uh, so here we are. So this year, I, I, it's kind of funny. It's like, I didn't realize how big a deal it was until our kids started mentioning, where's my box? Where's my box? Oh, I love that. When the, I think they found them. Like, yeah, well, I just bring them out. <laughs> I just bring them out every year. I'm like, we're good. I think everything that's been said can be said in a nice new way for sure. But I think that tradition is like sealed and we're moving on to, to new things, especially as the family is now like they're leaving the house. We're getting smaller. We're growing smaller before we get really big. Yeah. So it, it and it's okay. It's like, I guess it's, it's okay to take permission to not have to do something every year or every season or every holiday or every feast day. You think Liliana is getting ripped off our youngest? No, I think that the youngest, the younger ones, like I was number 10 of our 12, they get, we get loved on by so many older, wiser kids. And there is a way in which I think the older kids always favor the younger. It, it just goes in that direction. And so for the younger ones to feel there's so many gifts about being on the younger side of a big family. Let's just say that. So maybe in her mind, because she's Liliana, thinks she's missing out, but she gets doted on and loved on. And because the older ones have with itness and and um, that's a great point. They, I never, that's worth the, that's a whole radio program. There, we've got to figure that one out. Like, would you rather be the oldest in the middle or the youngest? <laughs> definitely on the younger side. We should, yeah, we should uh, survey our kids and ask. <laughs> All right, we're up against our break. Back in a minute. 
Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Carnes. Great to be with you. So, so Carrie, tomorrow is Ash Wednesday, and the tr- the three traditional um, disciplines of Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And we're not going to dig into any one of those in great detail. But I I've been listening to a couple of like sources about fasting. Right, fasting's been kind of a bigger deal for us this this past year. Well, now I feel like we have no excuse. We have to really up our game. Well, I was listening to this one interview where these two cloistered priests. Okay, once you say cloistered, I know that's like an up, up, up your game, but go ahead. Consecrated religious priests that never leave the monastery. They live this monastic life and they fast every day. Every day. Every day. Um, But that means one meal. And basically what they said was, it's actually not that hard. Because once once you've built it into your system that you're just eating one meal a day, then uh, well, then what's so special about Lent? Well, in Lent you you can up the game in terms of how serious the fast is on certain days, where you don't even eat the one meal. But they were talking about the like let's call it almost demonic destruction of uh, the discipline as a fundamentally important way to grow in holiness. What do you mean demonic destruction or how it comes against the demonic? Uh, no, but I'll, I'll stay with that. I should just say it this way. <laughs> After the second Vatican council, there was such a relaxing of the discipline Got of it. fasting. So now when you listen to some people say, oh, well, fasting is eating one full meal and two partial meals that don't add up to another meal. Uh, and as long as I'm doing that, I'm fulfilling the church's uh, rule. And I only have to do it two days in the entire calendar year of the church, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. That Other is demonic. That, it's just, rec- it's just recommended abstinence. Oh, no, you have to abstain from eating meat on Fridays. That is, that's, uh, talk about a low bar. That is like the lowest of the low bars. And even that gets, like, how do I, how do I work around it? I remember when my mom would share about when she was a girl, they would go to bed at nine o'clock at night or whatever. And they would literally the next morning break their fast with breakfast after they go to the 7 a.m. mass. And she go to mass most days as a child or as a girl at the cathedral in her town of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, you read some of these, like even I was reading like the John F. Kennedy biographies and his mom would go to daily mass. And you read some of these Catholics back in like the 1910s and 20s, they're just constantly regular mass goers. I didn't realize mass and daily mass was such a big deal until I went to Boston. I had to leave Seattle, of course, because you don't barely get mass, you know, maybe one mass a day at a church. I went to Boston when I was dating you and I was floored that they had mass every half hour at the churches in downtown Boston in the commons. And I was like, what is this? Why do they have, and all these businessmen are coming and going every half hour. And I looked at the church schedule and it was like 10, 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, 12. 12. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I was like, wait, people actually go to mass here every day and they make it available all the time. It, and it, I guess I didn't realize just how non-Catholic Seattle was compared to the East Coast. And that's just not Boston. That was in New York. That was in Baltimore. I mean, there's several stories I've heard of people that were my mom's age in their 90s now who would regularly go to mass and break their fast with breakfast. By So they would fast for 12 hours or whatever. 
Right. Well, and it was, and that was connected to how important is receiving Holy Communion. And I need to have my body in a sanctified uh, state. Uh, and I want to, I, I don't want to, um, you know, sort of sully the, uh, the, the focus. Well, I just love how much they believed the Eucharist was Jesus. Yeah. That it wasn't just, hey, let's all hang out together and hold hands and sing songs and we'll go up and get some. But they really had this sense that it was the living God that they were receiving, that just sense of, and then hungering for the Eucharist. I, well, and that's where, that's reverence, right? That reverence is an atmosphere, right? It has to do with against the idea of atmosphere because all of that is true on the one hand. And on the other hand, you could do all of those things in a perfunctory, check the box. I'm just doing it because I'm required to do it in manner. Isn't that true? Yeah, you but could, at some point, God's grace and the Holy Spirit said, break in. I mean, honestly, you, I, you can look at people and say, okay, they just go to daily mass, but where's their holiness? I don't I don't think those two things typically go hand in hand. Someone who's doing daily mass. I'm talking more like the 50s. If you're saying that oh, okay, yeah, going to mass every day in the 50s, it was just more of a habit thing and a cultural thing in some instances, I'm guessing in a lot of instances, because it, you know, I think there would have been a more vibrant, renewed and renewing faith that would have been carried through the sixties. The fact that we've had such a decline in um, participation at church and in identifying as a Catholic, I think we're still seeking that sense of where do we find renewal? And I have certainly narrowed my focus on I've got to work on my own renewal first and then your second and then the kids third. And then let's see if we can help other people from there. Yeah. I think you need to do it as a, a group. I think there's definitely this effort of community. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the monk guy. I'm happy to go do it by myself. I don't know. Hey, you know how we talked about um, fasting and just don't eat anything except you have to eat all the old food. So it doesn't go to. Oh place. yeah. yeah, yeah. That, That's right. I like that. Yeah. That's a form of <laughs> we're, fasting. We're trying to like clean out our covers and clean out our fridge. Right. And it really is a thing. So the Washington Post had this article and they said they gave like a fridge hack of how you can keep your food from going bad because they, they were in this article, they said, we throw out one third of our food. It goes to waste or 40% of your food. I, I was trying that's to think. Insane. That's like an insane amount of food. If that's true, one third to 40% of your food. Well, I think you throw out leftovers like that's a common thing you know we do throw out a lot of food i think about it like how many vegetables like the well vegetables are the main thing we throw away but um sorry but the dog or cheese gets old if you count sauces that get opened and not fully used yes if you count what we give to the dog though we don't throw away that oh, much there we go yes no but i'm like one of the least thrower awayers i know i there like i feel like we throw away 10 percent of our food I would say on a on a good week, but um, they said that you should put your vegetables and your fruits perishables perishables in the door in the refrigerator door, even though it's not in a crisper, and the lettuce can maybe wilt. So you see it because typically what happens is food just gets stuffed into the refrigerator, and then the stuff that you okay if gets you switched to the me, if we switched it around and you said put the food in a place where you're more likely going to see it, I would say. Put it on the shelves right in front of me. Don't put it in the door. Well, what I happens, barely look in the door. Oh, I do actually put a lot of the Ziploc bag stuff in the door. What happens is 
you put it in the shelf, but then you put something else in front of it and then something in front of that and something in front of that. And then pretty soon it's all pushed to the very back okay. of the refrigerator. That really is the mom who goes and cleans out the refrigerator. And I I can see a container in there. And I'm like, oh, it's been in there two weeks. <laughs> I wonder how it smells. I got to clean it out. And the dog is so funny. She knows Monday morning, she hears all me all those containers being popped open and she's coming in. As soon as I open up like a container, she comes running to the kitchen because she knows I'm going through leftovers. All right, so are you saying that I, I think you, you kind of teed this up for the family already, like get ready for some really interesting meals. Yes, we've gotten rid of, so no more heavy I whip. I can't believe how many big half beans and we around the house. This is great. <laughs> big beans. We are. Potatoes and baked beans. This well, my awesome. This is my daughter said. She goes, I'm not going to eat between meals. She's she's kind of geared to, towards this, and she's not our healthiest eater. I said, you know what you should do? Just say all you can eat between meals are vegetables. Then you would become a really healthy eater because you'd be so hungry. Those carrots and celery sticks and broccoli, whatever it is, will look super good. I love that you were. I saw that you were prepping the you were prepping the home for us because I was. we have these big containers now full of already chopped carrots. I I love that. Well, I think when they wrote this article in the Washington Post, they forgot that what I think leads to a lot of food waste is just non not prepping food, especially when you have a big family of a lot of kids, if you can just prep and that takes time and it's kind of boring and tedious. And I told you this morning, I said, I don't know how people stay in the kitchen more than two hours. I get so bored and distracted. So I love that I can listen to a podcast or a book on tape, but if you can prep and put it in containers and just whip it out and there it is for kids, it will be eaten, but it's those, the, the fruit that's not prepped or it's the vegetables that are not prepped that get thrown out typically. So I'll tell you what, we don't want to throw out this Lent. So we want to have good prep for this Lent. Did you like how I did that? Yeah. Was that pretty good? Mm-hmm. So to link it one last time, folks, as we are uh, getting to the last minute of our program, that tomorrow is is the beginning of Lent. It's also St. Valentine's Day. If you want to celebrate St. Valentine's Day in a way that involves chocolate and a special meal or some other special treats and desserts, do that today. Let it be part of a Mardi Gras feast. I know they're doing that at the Chesterton Academy. Yes, for a sports banquet. No, 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 even during the day. Oh, as well, okay. Well, in the sports banquet tonight, too. In the sports banquet tonight. Uh, But then tomorrow, again, go into it with preparation. Preparation around prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I'll have a chance to dig into that more fully with you all beginning tomorrow on the program. Hey, thanks so much for listening. God bless your day. And join me tomorrow for Ash Wednesday.